0: This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the spectators now once again, I think, daily politics podcast. Uh, I'm James Seif and I'm joined by Katie Balls. So Katie... It's been a calmer day in Westminster. The the junior ranks of this reshuffle have continued. The appointments that have really struck out to me have been in in education. So we had Gillian Keegan appointed Secretary of State for Education earlier in the reshuffle. And we have now had both Robert Halfon, the Chairman of the Education Select Committee, and Nick Gibb, uh, the former Schools Minister, returning, I think, for his third tour of duty at the Department for Education. What do you think this tells us about what Rishi Sunak wants to do with that department?
1: Well, I think it suggests education is a priority. I also think if you think about the turnover in terms of education secretaries, it was frankly getting quite embarrassing. Michelle Donelan, how long did she last? I
0: think mean, three, no, no, less than that. It was a... Longest and deems the asked after ask the Chancellor because do you remember they both? So it was about a day. They took the job and then resigned.
1: Yeah, exactly. But yet her photo, as someone who has visited that department, is still on the wall. It's made it in in reception, Department of Education. When you go in, there's a photo of every former Education Secretary, and she will she'll always have that. But I think it was in a way. I mean, that was obviously very linked to Boris Johnson and chaos. But the problem was it was. <laughs> It was an extreme example of the fact that there has been such turnover in that department. And Richie Seedon obviously chose to move Kit Malthouse. There's some talk he was offered a different job, um, but he refused a demotion. I think you could have said, let's keep Kit Malthus there, so we're not going for another education secretary. I think what we're seeing now in terms of these appointments is the fact that Rishi Sunak has plans for education. There's a question, which is something we discussed on Spectator TV this week, Anthony anything as to how much a prime minister coming in so late in the day with such a tired party, not too far from election, can really do, how much reform. I think all the signs are pointing at the moment to the fact that If Rishina is going to try and do some reform, education is one of those areas. And Gillian Keegan is an interesting uh, appointment for education secretary. She is part of the 2017 intake, so she's not been around Parliament particularly long time. But she's also one of those MPs who's come from a wealth of outside experience. So uh, she had a, a long business career before joining. And... I think, has, has often been seen as someone who is a rising star. She also attended a comprehensive herself. And I think you combine Julian Keegan with the fact that Nick Giversback, who, up until when he was pushed away, aside, was the longest-serving education minister, um, does suggest it's a combination of a new direction but also the experience to try and drive it. And I think there is a bit of a sign in terms of Rishi Sunak's so you know, cabinet and uh, junior minister appointments in general, which is, for a prime minister who is very young comparatively he is rewarding experience which could be to make up for the fact that he doesn't have so much but that that is the theme running through it james what do you think he's trying to do in education so
0: i think you're right about the return of nick gibb and and the and and the kind of round peg round hole experience tick but i also think we're seeing a real emphasis on Skills. You said Gillian Keegan, who yeah, obviously was a guest uh, on your yeah. on Women with Balls, and uh, um,
1: she was Minister for Apprenticeships. Yeah,
0: exactly. So she is the kind of great example of someone who did an apprenticeship and was very successful on the, the back of it. Rob Half, the Chair of the Education Select Committee, is big on skills as opposed to the kind of classically kind of British value of the kind of academic education, where kind of Oxbridge is the great pinnacle to which everyone can aspire to. So I think you're, I think you're seeing here. An attempt to kind of push the DFE to focus more on skills.
1: Where did Rishi go?
0: Uh, he did get to and did PPE. As Cindy, our podcast producer, looks approvingly at the, the, the prospect of another PPEist <laughs> rising to the top.
1: You're next, Cindy. Not underrepresented.
0: Um, <laughs> I was surprised that there, that there I, I, that only five. I mean, it shows you how dominant PPE is. It, that when I was um, doing some research for, for the column I've been writing this today, I was surprised that there have been only five prime ministers who have done PPE at Oxford. I would have thought that number would be a higher, which, which, te- which, which is obviously a lot. It tells you something about how dominant it has both Oxford has been and PPE as the degree has been. That five seems like a small number. So I think you can see an attempt here to kind of push skills as the narrative, technical training. And also, I mean, I um, I think Richie Sunak is very keen on this idea that everyone should have to do maths until they leave school, which I think will, will, um, uh, I think, put it like this, if Labour get in and introduce votes at 16, won't do much for the Tories' prospects.
1: James, it's interesting, the maths point, because actually we've been talking recently about all the difference between Richie Sunak and Liz Truss, but clearly... Liz Truss, also a keen advocate of this.
0: Yeah, look, I, mean, I think that, as Davis someone who gave up maths at 16, so... Don't, 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 yeah, don't, I,
1: do. I don't want to talk about my experience in maths. Yeah,
0: but I think the point about this is, what is clear is, the biggest boost to your earnings potential, and the best thing for social mobility, is being good at maths. And so, therefore, better maths teaching, getting people to do maths for longer, a more numerate population, would make you better at this. I mean, it's very telling. But it could that,
1: also bring down your grades, couldn't it?
0: Yeah, but but it is very telling that this has been a big focus of his of his as chancellor he funded various initiatives kind of adult maths lessons and so and the like. I mean this is, so I think I think that you know there will be more more maths after class I think.
1: And James we're talking about obviously the focus on maths but there's also talk of a new qualification something that Rishi Sunak talked about in the campaign.
0: Yeah, it's British Baccalaureate which is the idea that you basically don't narrow down as much as we do now so that you do in, in the British system at the moment if you've you stay at school past 16 and you choose to do academic qualifications rather than technical qualifications you're very quickly funneled down a narrow subject path where what the idea of the british baccalaureate is you'd have to do you have to do a more varied mix of subjects i think also one other thing to watch as well is this desire for kind of more technical institutions a kind of russell group of technical technical institutes kind of you know i think you can see here a, a clear attempt at creating an education system that is designed to prepare a workforce that is more equipped for for future challenges. But the other story that keeps on running, Katie, is the question of Swellar Bravo-man's appointment. I think mean, we had the first bit of blue on blue on this government when Jake Berry, the former Tory party chairman, uh, went on Harry Cole's TV show last night to say that Suella Brademan had, had made, committed multiple breaches of the ministerial code, including one related to cyber security. Where is that story today?
1: So as you say, it, it refuses to go away for now. And you're seeing further pressure in terms of Rishi Sunak and his government, some calling for an inquiry into Sarah Braveman. At the moment, that is being resisted, uh, I think, on, as you say, previous security breaches, as uh, you know, some reports about her time as Attorney General. I think there is an effort by the opposition, also Sue Ella Braveman's critics to basically suggest that what happened last week was not an isolated incident. Um, so you're seeing, you know, the phrase Leaky Sue is a nickname that's going around, though obviously the Suella Braveman can camp hit back and say this is not an accurate reading. Um, there's also talk that Cybella Braveman could be trained on what she should and shouldn't share, um, which you might have thought would happen before someone became homosexual and after. But I think as as I put in the politics column this week in the magazine, as we discussed, it's interesting in the sense, Sue Adder-Braveman's appointment is largely political. Rishi Sunak has done it to keep the right of the party on the side, thinking that Sue Adda braveman signals that she did endorse him. Is this now drawing more criticism than they anticipated? I think now that she is in position, the government is clearly going to try and stick by Sue Adda braveman Figures in government say Stephanie is very clear of the terms she has been rehired on so there is another slip she will be out the door but of course when you make a political appointment which is uh, based on keeping the party together it does mean you, you, you have a bit more sway in the sense that it would be a, tr- a tricky um, person to, to let go of. I thought what was interesting as you say about the Jake Berry interview is Jake Berry is now back on the back benches he was a key trust supporter key trust ally who did not get anything in this reshuffle and therefore i still think there is more unity this week than obviously the week before but you're beginning to see the fractures and the trust camp is certainly very questioning of suella braveman's return and i think are quite keen to make that known
0: yeah, I, although I think the Jake Berry thing about was, was I think what was striking about Jake Berry thing was was how publicly this was done. This was not an off the record quote to a newspaper. This was a, a TV interview. But the multiple breaches appear to, according to what Danny Street was saying today, appear to relate to the fact that in sending this email, she committed two breaches. One was using a personal telephone for government business, and secondly, was sending it to someone who wasn't authorised to see it. I, I mean. My gut instinct right now is that as long as nothing more comes out, this story has uh, doesn't appear to have an extra thing that would, that, that would tip it over the top.
1: And finally, James, we have the news that Rishi Sinek will not be attending COP27. Now, this is interesting because Liz Truss was receiving quite a lot of criticism and it seemed as though she would not go. And then actually the suggestion was she would <laughs> So what can we read from this? Because you also have a climate minister who is no longer attending cabinet. And therefore, I think the two coming together are leading people to say, actually, how, how much of a priority is this for Rishi Sunak's government?
0: I mean, the challenge of timing is that this COP meeting is the day before the autumn statement. But who who but, came up
1: with the date for the autumn no, statement? No,
0: no. But it obviously, with Graham Stewart, who is the climate minister, he's been reappointed not sitting around the cabinet table, and this this is something they're going to have to tread very carefully on if they're going to avoid a kind of impression that they are downgrading. It. I thought it's kind of quite telling that they're trying to say that you know they still want everyone to go f- to meet their Glasgow commitments and the like. I think it is. I think there is an interesting other question here, which is also remember that when Liz Truss was prime minister, you know the decision was taken that King Charles, who was I think keen,
1: to- I was about to say.
0: Would not go. So I think I think, it were, and the explanation of some people at the time for that, some ministers was that it would have been kind of delegation confusion if you'd had both a head of state and the head of government. Obviously, that that would not be so much of an issue now.
1: I was about to ask you: Do you think now now is the time for King Charles to go to COP twenty seven? Well, I think it?
0: there is a, there is an argument given that the UK is handing over the presidency at this summit that, that there needs to be some high level UK representation
1: one to watch. Thank you, James, and thank you for listening.